It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Very uneventful day here in San Diego. The 2019 winter meetings is starting to conclude as Rule 5 draft is happening tomorrow, and that will be the actual conclusion of it. So why not? Let's talk to Jason Stark, the Hall of Famer. Let's talk a little Garrett Cole that happened a little bit last night and more Phillies right here on Pine Tar for breakfast. Coming up next. What up? And welcome to Pine Tar for Breakfast. Or dinner, or whatever the heck you want, because you're going to listen to this tonight. That's right. We have a loaded show. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm excited, because the loadedness comes from Jason Stark, and the Hall of Famer, the Spink Award winner, um, one of our very own from Philadelphia. He and I have been very close, and I've talked to him for... Man, so long since I was playing. And we got to talk a lot about, you know, just the Phillies in general. Uh, Off air, we were talking a lot about Bryce Harper and just how impactful he's already been, not only to uh, the Phillies franchise, but just outside in the community and just how special of a player person he is. Uh, So Jason joined me today. I caught up with him. I caught up with Mike Farron of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we did a little crossover. So we might get into that. We might save that for another pine tar for breakfast. But I also have something later on that I'll tease with. But right now, I'm going to be joined by Jason Stark. Right down, right behind the set of MLB Network. And here we go. Welcome back to Pine Tar for Breakfast, and I'm sitting here with greatness. I got the Hall of Famer, Jason Stark, from The Athletic, from every writing publication ever because you are the best baseball writer out there and that's just uh that's just your intro that was my intro <laughs> it was a little scary thank you man i appreciate that i actually don't write for every publication i write no, for no, the athletic but, no, no, but, no, but, I, but no in the past in the past yeah i i did my time as at the philadelphia inquirer it was awesome worked at espn it was awesome work at the athletic now it's awesome just got off the set of mlb network that's awesome my life is good i'm living the dream so now you're a hall of famer and you're a hall of famer before but you're like just the like basically, like the guy that uh, just got inducted or elected in, which is Marvin Miller. And I, I just wondered if you had any comments on him, first and foremost, you know, as a, as a, a veterans committee, you know, choice, someone that all of us players saw as a influ- the most influential, you know, person in, in Players Association history. Uh, anything to go, you know, to add to it? Well, I don't know whether I'm, what I'm adding to, but I was on the committee that considered Marvin two years ago. We spent more time on Marvin than any other candidate, probably twice as much time as any other candidate. And I'll be honest with you, Kevin, when I walked out of that room, I felt like this guy will never get elected because the makeup of the committee will never be such that 
he can get 75% of the vote in a room of baseball people. Um, I was really heartened by the fact that the executives on this committee were able to take a step back and see the big picture and see the fact that Marvin Miller changed baseball, changed sports. Mm -hmm. We're at the winter meetings. What have we been talking about? <laughs> Garrett Cole signed a big contract, I understand, right? We talk about free agency now nonstop. It wouldn't exist without Marvin Miller. Just that alone is a, a game changer. Mm -hmm. It's a life-changing achievement. Um, the, so I'm really heartened. I'm really excited that this happened. What I can't figure out, though, is what's going to happen in July because his, his son and daughter have told the Hall of Fame they're not going to participate because that was their father's dying wish. And so I, I feel like somebody has to stand there at the podium and explain to the world why this happened, why this man's being honored, because he's not like anybody else on that stage or in that gallery. And another one of your your friends that we lost this past year, Nick Cafardo, he's going in as well. Uh, I, I think with Ted Simmons, and, and I think that's that's tremendous. But with Nick, I mean, just knowing him from being you know playing in Boston for just a, a, a three weeks in spring training, and he came up and we talked plenty. But I mean, just what he meant to you yourself and to many writers around the game. You know, I gravitate to people who love baseball like we do, mm -hmm. and Nick was one of those people. After I won the Spink Award last year, I went out to lunch with Nick Cafardo, and I've thought about that a lot this time around. Uh, when they read Nick's name at our meeting, uh, it was really an emotional moment. There was a standing ovation that wouldn't stop, and then... Pete Abraham, who was one of Nick's great friends and worked with him at the Globe, walked to the back of the room and hugged his son, Ben. There was not a dry eye mm. in the house, including mine. Mm. Sounds looks like including yours as we're talking about mm. it. Um, you know, Nick's combination of love of the game, incredible writing ability, work ethic, uh, just passion for everything about being a baseball writer, makes him such a great choice. It, I'm just heartsick that he won't get to experience what I experienced last year. You know, th these are memories for a lifetime for you, your family, and your friends. I know his family and his friends will be there. They'll feel the love, but there'll be such a hole mm -hmm. in all of our hearts that he's not there too. 100%. Look, all right, we'll switch it over, try to get something non-emotional on us. But <laughs> Zach Wheeler signs five years at 118. Didi Gregorius agreement right now in, in the one-year $14 million for the Philadelphia Phillies. How important are those two signings in your eyes, knowing that there's more that they need to do, but those two guys in, in itself, uh, what, what, what's your take on that? In, in terms of what they mean for the 2020 Phillies, I, I, I really like both moves. Um, I think people in Philadelphia are going to love Didi. You know, just, I, again, we, like, we gravitate mm -hmm. to guys who play baseball with a smile on their face. Didi comes to work with a smile on his face, and that's the way he plays. And uh, he should be healthy. Um, you know, he's way down the road now from the Tommy John surgery. And I think, I know the Yankees felt like last year he came back. He started the season late. He was behind. It was his free agent year. He had numbers in his head he was hoping he could put up. Uh, he wasn't ready to put up those numbers. Then, you know, you're trying to play catch-up. 
I don't think last year was the real Didi Gregorius. Uh, and, you know, he, he's, de he's an upgrade at short. Um, he should be an upgrade in terms of left-handed bat. Really good fit, assuming he is what he was the previous two years in New York. And then Zach Wheeler was interesting to me. Just talking to the Phillies people through the winter about the various free agent options. I think they knew that Garrett Cole was going to he was going to be a Yankee. He was, he was, mm -hmm. was going to price himself out of what the Phillies were going to do. Uh, and when I asked about every other free agent starter, it was so clear to me that they prefer Zach Wheeler for every reason over anybody else. Uh, stuff, upside. I mean, he's a guy to dream on. Uh, he, he, you know, he's not a number one starter. He's not a number two starter. Uh, he can be on a given day. Um, there's just been too many ups and downs to, to, to say that's what he's been. But we don't know what he'll be because just, just look at the combination of velocity, hardest throwing Phillies starter since Kurt Schilling, right? Spin rate, uh, not just the fastball, mm -hmm. but, that, but the slider is uh, man-eating. And I, I think he's got a chance to really connect with Brian Price. I'm excited to see where it leads, but just just have to recognize there's been a lot of injury history and a lot of inconsistency. So it, it, it's a very expensive roll of the dice. I mean, if you took the, if you took the second halves of both years, his last two yeah. years, and combined it, and that was your one season, you have a Cy Young Award winner. I mean, maybe not with DeGraw, but I mean, just in, in, in general, his numbers are that good right. and that dominant. So with that being said, you brought up the name of Brian Price and, and just the acquisition of a Joe Girardi and Brian Price. How much do you see that as, I mean, because you've been around plenty of, you know, pitching coaches in this game, plenty of managers in this game that you know can maybe dial up something extra. Do you think that there is more out of Zach Wheeler that we're not seeing? I, I mean, I think that's why he got paid what he got paid. Um, they, they weren't buying what he's been. They're buying what they hope he can become. Um, he's he's the he, he's what we are seeing the new free agency because it used to be you paid for the paid for the past, not the future. On the on truly on the whole thing, yeah, you you're hoping, but this is all on what the future could be in in signing a Zach Wheeler. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I mean, you you mentioned Joe Girardi and Brian Price, and you know, with both those guys, uh, kind of the the fundamental rule of managerial hirings and firings applies. You know, whatever you had in the previous manager, pitching coach, trying to hire the the opposite. And you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this in Joe Girardi so far. Just that calm assurance, uh, just knowing the way things need to be done, and it's refreshing. I think it's going to have an effect on everybody around him. And Brian Price is the same aura. Been there, done it. Uh, you know, I know he's more old school than new school, but has a tremendous curiosity about new school. And, you know, if given a ton of good information, I think we'll have a really good sense for how to communicate it. He's, he's incredible at connecting with pitchers as people and as baseball players. Incre incredibly important trait in, a, mm. in any coach, as you Absolutely. know, but certainly a pitching coach, especially mm. because he, he spends so much time with those guys. And I, I thought he was a particularly great hire. Mm, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you got Aaron Nola, who just, you, you saw the, 
I'm not saying he was lost, but so many times with that stuff last year, you're just like, he had no one to go to. And, you know, like that experience side. I mean, Jim Gott's one thing, you know, but he's in the bullpen all the time and, and not during the game to be able to talk to and, and, and throw ideas off of. So I, I'm excited just for that because there's a lot of young talent still on that pitching staff that, that could still come to fruition and, and, and lead this team to a lot. Okay, so with that being said, the outfield with McCutcheon and Bruce, and, and we don't know in center field because Kingry, you know, could play anywhere and everywhere. Where do you see Gene Segura in this whole thing? Is is he a second baseman? Is he a third baseman? Is he someone that you see that will accept the like legitimately accept the role to play there, or is he someone that you would look to trade? Um, well, I think they wouldn't. They'd be interested in trading him. I, I, I think his market value right now would suggest, nah, let's not do that. Let, let's find some place for him to play. He's got a comfort level at second. The other reason to play him at second is at some point Alec Baum will be a factor, should be. And so if he is, are you going to move Gene Segura from shortstop to third and then move him from third to second? That's a lot of transition for one veteran player to make in, in, in one year. I, so I, he's, to me, he's got to play second, even though I understand I think the, the, the skill set mm. translates better to third. And then, you know, well, you have Kingry to, to <laughs> fill in at third until – Alec Baum is ready, and then you can bounce Kingery to wherever you need him to, to be, which is, you know, it's an incredible gift. I, even if you want the guy to play one position, just recognize what he did oh. last year. Right, he played double-figure games at five different positions while hitting 19 homers. I looked at everybody in the light ball era who has played 10 games or more at five different positions. They hit a total of 20 homers. Like, you don't find guys like Scott Kingry who do what he does and do it the way he did it. It like it, He's like having four players, mm -hmm. not one player. I'm, so I, I think there's a, there's a real value in that. Um, and it's not, it's not average at those positions, right? And it, like, it, he is above average at second base. He turned himself into a plus defender at short and at third. And the outfield, it started off slow, but once he got going, you're going, this kid is beyond special. Like you, like you said, the double-digit starts at five different positions, but you're going, holy cow. Like, to not have any drop, and I'm a utility guy, knowing how tough it is and how much I struggled at certain positions, this guy didn't have any drop-off anywhere. And, and that, to me, luxury for a team, but all, you know, at times you're like, man, I would love it for him to play, but look. We're seeing load management <laughs> everywhere in, you know, in, in sports. So he, he's tremendous on, on that front. Yeah, I think he did get worn down toward the end of the year, don't, don't you? Mm -hmm. but, but in terms of defensive drop-off, none. None. And uh, look, there's, there are questions in center field, man. Uh, I mean, Adam Hazley showed flashes of being a really good defender out there. Um, I think he's got a lot of work to do with the bat. Uh, I think he's going to hit, but whether he's ever going to hit with power, whether he's ever going to handle the off-speed, these are big questions. And having Scott Kingery as a guy you could plug in there, if that's what you think you need, is huge. Uh, depth was also a major problem last year, and I think it's a major point of emphasis this winter. But Scott Kingery is like having a much bigger, deeper bench. Uh, really one of the most important players on the roster, without any doubt. Mm. Last question with you, with as far as the Garrett Cole sign, nine years, three hundred twenty-four million. I mean, <laughs> earned it. <laughs> but just, but we were like we were talking about with Marvin Miller and, and what he brought, the the ability for this to actually happen. Are are you 
blown away at all or you're not surprised with with the numbers that are being thrown around but like it just where we are today in the, in, in today's game uh, a player signing for nine years a player signing for 13 years 330 but I mean like that 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 type of money that those type of years being thrown around yeah you know I ran into a guy from the Royals uh, this morning and we were they talking. haven't spent that <laughs> maybe ever <laughs> all right how about this okay the Yankees are going to pay Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton close to two-thirds of a billion dollars over the next nine years and the Royals whole franchise just got sold for a billion, right? So these two players are getting two-thirds of the sale price of the franchise in Kansas City. And like this, these, these are the Yankees, man, doing what they do. Uh, we found out that Hal Steinbrenner is a real Steinbrenner. <laughs> uh, it, it was his call whether to add a ninth year. Haven't seen a nine-year contract for a pitcher in over 40 years. He went there. He did that because this is a special player. Mm -hmm. He's a unique generational talent with four swing and miss pitches, one of the great fast swing and miss fastballs in the game. Uh, this incredible quest for greatness, intelligence. Uh, I, I think he can play in that little town they play in, right? It seems like he's, he's got everything that you would ever expect a, the ace of the New York Yankees to have. But what blew me away is the ninth year. Mm -hmm. Just never thought we'd see that. We haven't even seen an, an eight-year contract to a U.S. free agent since Mike Hampton almost 20 years ago. I've never been a Yankee guy. Like, I, 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 I respect and love the franchise, but not going to say, like, I'm a fan. I loved it. I love they because that's what we grew up on. And you said the name, Steinbrenner. That was a Steinbrenner move, and it was like, yes. Like, <laughs> the fact that that's back, I, I, I can't, I, I don't even know what to think other than the fact that you said it, nine years. Holy hell. <laughs> I, like, I really, I, I've, I've been trying to digest it. You know, I looked up uh, at one point yesterday, uh, all the free agents in the last 20 years who got contracts of nine years or more and changed teams. And you know the names, hey, Bryce Harper's one of them. Manny Machado's one. But then if you keep going back, Cano, A-Rod, Prince Fielder. You, like, you know the names. What's amazing is, like, you do this to win. None of that has produced any winning. Mm -hmm. Albert Pujols is another one. The, of, of all the guys who've done that, the, none of their teams that signed them won a World Series. And the only one that even played in the World Series was the Prince Fielder Tigers in 2012. And they got wow, swept. And so... This is the Yankees. Mm -hmm. This is all about winning the World Series. It's what they have to do. Or how are we going to look back at this, at this and say, good idea? Well, I'm, I'm just like looking at this whole thing and just going, oh my gosh, he's getting all the same, you know, same money all the way through. Where Bryce Harper in the last three, four years, his goes down. Where everyone else is like, you see these long contracts, they continue to skyrocket up. One thing that's always been lost on Bryce is that he's taken less in those last couple of years, and it's not like he's hurting for money, but it helps the franchise and the ability to possibly keep a, you know, a, a winning franchise going, hopefully at that time. Yeah, the, the, the Bryce Harper contract was clearly uh, it was accountant-driven. <laughs> you know, I don't think the Phillies expect to get 13 great years out of Bryce mm -hmm. Harper. I'm sure Bryce would say that's probably not likely himself. But it, he expects by, it. <laughs> oh, yeah, good, good point. But, it, but by spreading it out over that many years, it lowered the AAV and enables them to be more flexible with him on the team. Because first and foremost, what does he want to do? He wants to win. Yeah. And he knows if he chews up all the payroll, that gets hard. 
Jason, I appreciate you coming on Pine Tower for breakfast, and uh, it's great to have, this is my second Hall of Famer, I just want to let you know. You want to know who the first is? Michael Jack Schmidt. So it's, it's me and <laughs> me and Michael Jack Schmidt. That's good company. I, I was a little disappointed that no pine tar was actually served for breakfast. I'm short a meal today. <laughs> well, usually with the guys, I do waffle or not. It's who you waffled. Like, it, did, yeah. did this guy, did you own him? L.A. always told me, like, oh, that guy owned me. I was like, L.A., you punched that guy out 12 times. He had two hits off you. No <laughs> chance that he owned you. So, anyway, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks, man. Isn't he the best? I mean, Jason Stark not only has written for the Philadelphia Inquirer, you have ESPN, MLB, just, it, it just runs through his veins. And uh, I was honored to have a Hall of Famer with me. I mean, that's, that's all we're going to say. So coming up next, I have Mike Farron, who is play, I play for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he joined me right here on Pine Tower for breakfast. But I also joined him at the same time on his beautiful podcast for the Diamondbacks. And we thought it'd be interesting because here's a, here's a lot of things. Gene Segura, he saw him play second base for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Didi Gregorius as the shortstop for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They have a couple guys that uh, were DFA'd. One that I was hoping that would be DF or uh, non-tendered in Jake Lamb, but he wasn't because he's a damn good player. Uh, when the Phillies uh, non-tendered, Michael Franco, I thought, whoa, that'd be a good one. Taiwan Walker was one that we talked about, so Steven Souza Jr. But there was just a lot of conversation, a couple funny stories, maybe one that Phil Nevin doesn't really like about, um, well, it's not about not liking me, but it's out there. It's funny. It's a great story. But Mike Farron joined me right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. Baseball's winter meetings wrapping up in San Diego and a special crossover edition of the D-Backs and Phillies podcast. I'm Mike Farron from the Arizona Diamondbacks, joined by Kevin Franson, former major leaguer and Phillies broadcaster as we get to the end of the winter meetings. and Former Diamondbacks farmhand. Former D-Backs farmhand. <laughs> what, are you playing Reno? Was One it Reno? month. One month? I was I probably the only guy in Reno history never to have an uh, extra base hit as a home player. <laughs> Yeah. That's only because Bloomquist didn't play there. No, <laughs> no, it was brutal. I, I, fun time, though. We had a good time. Me and uh, Phil Nevin. <laughs> <laughs> if you can only imagine. I, can I tell my favorite Phil Nevin oh, story? I have, I have one, too. I don't know if we could go on air. I'll tell you I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this one. So I was one of my, my first affiliated play-by-play job was with the Bowie Bay Sox. And Phil was managing the Erie Seawolves at the time. And uh, there was a game... Felix P.A. was on a rehab assignment with Bowie. Whatever happened? Yeah, I, yeah, incredible tools, right? And had one everywhere and one, just never put it together. P.A. tries to score from first on an extra base hit, like 7-7 seven, seven game, bottom of the ninth, comes home. He is out by, like, from me to that Christmas tree. Home plate umpire calls him safe. Bowie goes nuts. P.A.'s high-fiving with his team. Nevin loses it. Phil goes crazy. And the clubhouses in Bowie are down in the corners. You played in the Eastern League, right? So you know the, the visiting clubhouse in Bowie, way down the left field line, Hottest right? game I ever played was in Bowie. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Hottest it, game. 100-100. 100% humidity, right? And, Just, our, and our, the best part no is air our, conditioning. no air conditioning, our uh, dryer blew up. And we had the fire department there, so we were outside. In that in that weather, waiting waiting around the whole time. So Phil Phil's a great coach, good dude, a longtime Diamondbacks coach. Now with the Yankees, he 
he is fit to be tied. And he goes out to home plate, and he is furious. And he rips open his jersey, and the buttons go <laughs> flying everywhere. And the poor umpire, the, the other part of it is that, see, the clubhouses are down the left field line, but by the visiting clubhouses where the umpire's clubhouse is. So this poor umpire has to have Phil berate him all the way down the left field line, all the way into the clubhouse. Phil got into the clubhouse, put his fist through the wall in the manager's office. He was so mad. His players were tweeting out, tweeting out photos of it. This is like oh in the God. early days of Twitter. So this would be like 2009, yeah. 2010, somewhere around there. It, it just like, did you imagine like, so that's like a 400 foot that's walk. A long walk. Long walk with Phil Nevin just like cursing you out for the whole time. One of my favorite, so, my favorite ejections ever. I, I got to have a, this, it's also a Phil Nevin uh, ejection one. So we're in Vegas uh, and it is in that month that I'm there in, in Reno and, and we're having a good time and, you know, we show up there and Nev goes, you know, guys, uh, six o'clock, show up every night. See you then. And so we're like, all right. So we show up at six o'clock every night. Happens to be like the, I get like the veteran like day off, like uh-huh. just in Vegas. And so it was really nice. I pinch hit late and we're facing Syndergaard. Syndergaard punches me out on like a, like a 12 pitch at bat, but he punches me out on a, on a fastball that is like neck high mm-hmm. off the plate. And the umpire like rings me up. Because he never saw it. <laughs> never saw it. And it was like one of those where I was halfway down the line, like not even like sprinting down there, you know, like trying to sell it. It was like, okay, yeah, I took my stuff off, went. And he's doing it. I'm like, wait, what? By that time, Nev is getting thrown out of the game. But I'm like, he is losing his mind right now. What are you doing? But he kind of went into a waddle, like out. I'm like, what? what, what, what? We get back inside. It's like, Franz, he goes, I don't know how he did that. Can you believe that? But he goes, crap my pants as I was coming out goes thanks a lot appreciate it so it's like <laughs> he's going nuts on this guy and I'm like so you went nuts on that whole time and you know and he's, yeah so we, we'll, we'll leave it there on that on, on I mean, Phil's, Phil's a really nice guy like I get to know he's him not super well but you he's spent a month on the big league staff in 16 but he's an intimidating dude I mean I remember when he was drafted we're about yes. the same age so you remember when yeah. he was the number one overall pick yes. like he is a monstrous dude like he if I were an umpire he would scare the living daylights out of me and he looks good now too especially in the pinstripes he's lost some weight but he's like he's still shredded but like when he was a player mm-hmm. good god like, I still remember him coming in with the Padres and stuff, and you're like, now that's what you're supposed to look like as a major <laughs> leaguer, right? Like, and, and, and to be a coach and to be who he is now, like, as, as far as, you know, post-playing yeah. career, damn. Like, yeah. what, a, what, what, a, what a job. Hey, let me ask you this. Okay, so. But anyway, this is the Phil Nevin podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Nevin appreciation this podcast. Yeah, the, the, the ejection stories. But so, you know, the Phillies get into, a, a, you know, non-tendering uh, a couple guys in Cesar Hernandez yeah. and Michael Franco. And we saw it a, a little bit with, with, with the D-backs. And, and, you know, Taiwan Walker is one of those Steven guys. Susan. Steven Souza Jr. The one guy that I was hoping for was Jake Lamb. Like, they hold on. Do the D-backs hold on to him to see if they can keep the trade? Or is it they hold on to him because they think that, you know, they're going to utilize him and, and he's going to be a significant piece for him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. I, I mean, I think there's a couple things at play. I mean, one, you know, Jake was an all-star the last time he was healthy. I mean, 30-homer season, and he's battled injuries the last two years. But, there were, you, know, you know, you can get tricked by small samples. But sometimes when you know, you know. And the last week of the season, Jake looked an awful lot like Jake Lamb. And it's 
for offense to struggle as much as it did against right-handed pitching, and the fact that he's added the versatility to play first and play third, and you know, when he went back to third, Jake's worked really hard to become a solid third yeah. baseman. He was not a great defender early on. I think he would say that. But he can give some flexibility. He gives a left-handed bat with power. He gives you a little bit of insurance, I think, as an organization. If you know, if Christian Walker takes a step back, and Walker had a really good year last year, and you, you just you, the more information you get, the more you find out. And I think Christian can hit, and I think he's, you know, he's a really conscientious hitter, too. But I think there's a lot of reasons why you keep Jake Lamb Especially when you have an extra roster yeah. spot available now, because we're going to go to 26-man rosters. I think there's a lot of plate appearances for him. I think he gives you left-handed, left-handed power, and that's something that you you desperately need if you're a team that's going to have success. I want to ask you on the, the Philly standpoint. I mean, I understand that they're trying to push some money around, and that you know, we'll talk about Didi Gregorius <laughs> in a minute. But you know, obviously, there's a tie yeah, there with the Diamondbacks huge too. Tie. But but Cesar Hernandez has been a really good player over the last several years. Last year was, what, about a six-week stretch where he really struggled? Yep. And other than that, everything looked like normal. What happened? What, why? You know, why? to be honest, like you, you look at the year before, he was a 100-walk guy. And he, he played with two broken feet, basically. <laughs> he fouled balls off each foot, and, and he was battling that. So that was, in, that was the end of 18. Um, it goes into this year not taking. And, and, and trust me, I'm a guy that never took. Like, I, I, I saw the rosin bag being thrown, and I'm swinging. <laughs> But there's a difference with a guy like Cesar. Like, he's a leadoff type. He has the speed to steal bases. He has the athleticism to do that. Uh, so you didn't see that come to fruition because he was, you know, swinging away, swinging away. There was a lot of, you know, flares and, and doing stuff. He listened to the entire staff. And this was not one thing negative on Cesar. He came in huge. And he was very muscular, and uh, he loses so much weight. So they were so worried about him not – you know, being able to hold up, that they're like, we want you to put on weight. He did it, and he put on great weight. It wasn't like it was, well, he came in out of shape. No, he was in great shape. But it took a while for it, it, he. I would never say he never got used to playing like that. Yeah. And so once he started to, you know, finally slim down to be like who Cesar is, and, and that to me is, you know, a lean, you know, like just speedier guy. Uh, he did lose a little bit more mobility in his hips. You could just tell, like, just the way he was, you know, going down for ground balls and all that stuff. Uh, it, it, it took a while. With that being said, he just – I don't know if you want to spend $10, $12 million on a guy like that for a year. You know, you're not getting the production. He had 32 doubles. He had, you know, a couple of triples. He had more home runs than he did the previous year. But it's still – is it $10, 12000000 Because he's one-position guy. Right. You know, and, it, and it's a very, you know, it's a very average second base. He's not a very good second baseman, but he is going to produce. Let's, I mean, if you move him to third base, you know, you wonder because he has a good arm. He's a, yeah, but, he is bat, bat, but just doesn't have bad power. going to do it. Yeah, so you wonder, is he the utility guy? He played center field in, in 2013 at the end of the year, and you're going, oh, my gosh, like, could he be that? It's just he's the guy that you just don't know. Do you want to rely, you know, 10, 10, 12 million dollars on your payroll. I can see and understand completely why the Phillies didn't do it. I, yeah, and I, I mean, I guess I understand it too, especially with Scott Kingery there, because Kingery, obviously, the Phoenix product, can play a bunch of different positions. And the big news, one, one of the big yeah. new pieces of news out of these winter meetings has been Didi Gregorius going to the Phillies. I assume that means Gene Segura goes to second base. Well, and you've had both. You've had both in that situation, right? Yeah. I mean, shortstop, second base. Where do you see, where, where do you, could, could Gene be a. A second baseman? Oh, I or saw G- him as a 
at third baseman. I see Gene as a second baseman because we saw it in yep. Arizona. I mean, his best offensive year. Fast infield, and you saw someone that could play he, it. He's got, I think, at second base, it's like him and John Scope probably have the best second base arms. I mean, it's and his transfers on double plays are really quick. And I mean, Gene's year that he had with the Diamondbacks was fantastic. 20 homers and 20 steals and was really, really good. And, you know, I, I'd heard a little bit that he was ready to move off of shortstop. I think he felt like the demands on his body probably were a little bit much. I think he understood that he wasn't playing that well defensively. But I think the idea of putting him and Didi up the middle, Didi's not the same defender he was when he came up with the Reds, but he's still pretty solid. He's still got a great arm. It's a really interesting – I think it's it got a chance to be the best defensive infield the Phillies have had, certainly since they've gotten back into, yeah. into relevance. Well, and, and let me ask you this, because you, you see it and you – it's it's pretty apparent that Christian Walker has some some absolute unbelievable skills at first base. Yes. Cattell Marte when he's at, at at second base, you can see someone that covers so much ground. So with that being said, Reese doesn't have a lot of he he doesn't cover a lot of ground. Gene moving over to second base, and it's a couple of years away from you seeing him at second base. Could he take over that ground? That's why having a guy like Kingery who is so special, like he is, you put him at second base, he's gonna win a Gold Glove. You know, and, and you wonder if if that was the move. If you were to put Gene at third, you know, there's so many different things they have. Because Didi, and, and uh, I'm glad we were doing this because I was going to ask you because you've seen him. You've seen where he was, where he still hadn't even reached that potential. But he defensively, he was really good. You guys are okay, but, you know, better off now at, at shortstop with uh, Nick Ahmed. But he's, he's not bad. No, he's not bad. <laughs> but, but seeing Didi play and, and being able to have a guy right there, the range is there, the arm is there, the hands are there. It's the consistency, correct? I mean, we would always say with with, with Didi, the consistency we, we see with Nick Ahmed is not the same. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's night and day. Yeah. But how much does he bring to the table for the Phillies? Well, I think. I mean, I think Didi's. I mean, you're talking about when he's healthy or has been healthy, has been a plus offensive player at the position. And you know, I think smart probably on his part come to play on a one-year deal. He missed half of last year coming off Tommy John surgery. He's got power. It's going to play in a ballpark that's going to reward the power. Um, you know, he has familiarity with Joe Girardi, the new manager of the Phillies. He's he they you know played for him in New York, um, and I think he's going to bring. He brings a. Um, he just brings a, a positive element, I oh. think, every day, just in his personality. You know, he's, he's an interesting guy. He's an artist. Have you, ever a good met a kid, have you ever met a kid from Curacao that's, like, hasn't loved it? Have you ever been to Curacao? Like, I would be really happy, too. Every, everybody, everybody is just like, oh, my gosh, they come off the island and they're, like, five, speak five languages. They say hello to you and have a conversation, looking you right in the eye. It's like, how is what else? What else do you want from a person? Oh, he's actually really good at baseball too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think. I mean, I think it's a nice pickup for the Phillies in that that you know it helps us stabilize the infield. It still gives them a little bit of flexibility with Kingery. You could play some center with. You, know, you could split time with him and Hazley, I suppose, and have Kingery at third and let him move around a bunch of positions. I think that's something that's going to get sorted out for them in spring training more than anything. I, I wonder, okay, so the Dodgers have this whole deal, and I think it, it brings up a, a point to you because of this guy, and, and I, I love him more than anything, but it's the health. If they're willing to trade away A.J. Pollock and his contract and maybe attach someone to it to take on, the Phillies are right on the cusp of that luxury tax. Seeing an A.J. Pollock and Adam Hazley together in center field now, you're like, ooh, ooh. A.J. had a rough go late in the year last year defensively. Mm-hmm. He wasn't quite the same, but he really destroys left-handed pitching oh. still. 
and yeah, I mean, I think in that ballpark, he's a Jersey guy. Like, I, I think that would make sense. There's been plenty of rumors that the Dodgers are looking to trade him. That that's a possibility. They'd be willing to eat some money. So we'll see how that plays out. Guy, right? I mean, yeah, solid guy. I mean, he's he's a, a pro. Um, he's he's a, he's a guy that is very serious about his craft. He works very hard at it. And when he gets into those you know ten week stretches where he's really locked in, he can carry an offense. I mean, remember before he he you know broke his thumb in 2018. The first oh. six weeks of that season, oh. he was the best player in the National he League. Was disgusting. So, I mean, that's that would be an interesting pickup. All right, so I'm kind of curious. The Diamondbacks right. are still on the hunt for corner outfield help, mm-hmm. and while you they can't seem have to be, can't have Herbert, please. Yeah, no, no, nope, can't have him. Nope. You have Jay Bruce. I think what's much more likely. I love Jay. Jay's. I do too. Jay's great too. I'm just yeah. trying to think. Like, who would you want? I'm curious about Corey Dickerson because I think the. the the Diamondbacks are going down the road right now. It seems like the trade route mm-hmm. most likely. They they need to realistically fill center field and right field or second base and right field. Those are the two places that they need to fit. Maybe Cesar Hernandez ends up being a fit for them at second. That could be a possibility. I actually think that would be a, a fairly nice fit. Mm-hmm. But I also think Cattell Marte's best position is second. Somewhere they're going to try and trade for someone. They may try and sign someone at the other corner. Dickerson went off with the Phillies last year. And has turned himself into, at least two years ago, turned himself into a, a, a defender that won the Gold Glove Award. He's a very malleable hitter in that he's got a lot of different things that he can do. If you want him to be a power guy, he thinks he can be a power guy. If you want, you want him to be a whole field guy, he thinks he can be the whole field guy. Cut down on strikeouts, put the ball in play. He, he's pretty talented with the bat in his hand. You got a chance to see him down the stretch and be around him. What's he like? Quiet. In, a, in, a, in such a good way, he's so dedicated to his craft. And whether, you know, that craft is on the defensive side or it's on the offensive side, we know the offensive prowess. I mean, the guy had 30 home runs when he was with the Rays, right? And, and ends up getting DFA because he couldn't handle the high fastball. That's what they were worried about, really. So he turned himself into a, a, a high fastball hitter. Not like that's like his not number one, but he corrected some of those things. Shortens up with two strikes. Some of the things that you wish, wish so many younger guys would be able to do it's like yeah he might lose a little bit of power but his power that he has he's got shorter arms he's not going to get tied up on anything the adjustments that he makes with bat to a bat like he's the guy that you you wish with like an Andrew McCutcheon you can match up you know together and be like okay that 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 makes sense right there but I think Corey's he could still play a lot but it's always going to be the health with him and if and, and and so is that platoon situation a good thing I do think so. I personally think that, but I think Corey knows knows thyself, yeah. and and he wants to continue to play and, and be that guy, be able to go in there and, and 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 play every day. Would he be a fit? He's a fit anywhere. First and foremost, he's a fit anywhere in any team, any clubhouse. He is that guy. I I would love for him to be back in the field. I just don't see them being able to to do it. Well, that's why I think he might be a, a fit. If you if you get down this road, once you go through the trade market and you start looking at the, the outfielders, because like, I think so, this is one of my theories here coming out of the winter meetings. I think the corner outfield free agent market is going to move slowly because you have How a is lot Cole of guys. Calhoun still out there. Well, because in here I'll explain why. Cole Calhoun, Buckeye native, I think he also would be a great fit for the Diamondbacks. He's been linked to him a little bit, but Calhoun, Corey Dickerson, Yasiel Puig, Nicholas Castellanos. 
Um, Steven Souza Jr., who the Diamondbacks just non-tendered. I'm, I'm trying to think. There's one other guy that I was thinking of that is in that mix um, among corner outfielders, Marcel Ozuna. They, Ozuna probably has the highest upside mm-hmm. of them. He's had the best overall mm-hmm. season of any of those players. But they all kind of fit in the same range on a scouting scale as an average major league regular at the corner, mm-hmm. right? Right around Absolute, there. 100%. And so I think because, you know, like the starting pitching market, we've seen move really quickly. Like here we saw two monster deals for starters, and I think we're going to see more before we wrap up. That I think the reason why we saw that is there was a lot of variability in the number of starters. You had some frontal rotation guys. You had some number two, number three types. You had a fair number of number fours. So there's going to be a lot of places to space out. With the outfielders, they're all kind of the same, and so that's going to bog their market down a little bit. And I think those guys will all end up with similar deals. Ozuna's going to end up with most out of it, I think, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, Because I do think that there's more upside there, Mm -hmm. but I think in general that's the way that they'll be viewed. And I think that's going to make them have to wait. And I'm with you. I love Cole Calhoun. I love Corey Dickerson. Oh I love, like Nicholas Cassiano's bat a lot. I know there's questions about his defense, but there's but that guy can hit. Yeah, the, but there's so there's a that's the market that I think we start talking about either closer to Christmas or into the new year. Well, let me ask you about another market. Is that 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 four or five guy right? And, yeah. and okay, so the guy that you guys non tendered in, in Taiwan Walker is he a starter? It's a good question because I. If I'm him, I'm taking a one-year deal and, and seeing what, what teams have. I'm going to a winner because the winners are going to want him, and the reason I say it, they're going to want him as a reliever. That fastball split that he has, that he could – that if he's a two-pitch pitcher, I mean, he's the size of Del Patances, right? I mean, he's huge. Yeah. Could you see that happening? Could you see him being healthy enough to do it? Or could you see him not wanting to be a reliever? He was healthy at the end of the year, which is certainly good news for him. Ty worked really hard, mm-hmm. reshaped his body coming back. I, if I were him, I would want to go to a second division team that was going to give me a chance to start every day. Because I think you're going to end up making more value for yourself, especially, and this is kind of looking ahead, the free agent starting pitching market next winter isn't sure. all that great. So it's an opportunity for you to recoup a lot of value. If you go to a place like, you know, let's say Kansas City or Detroit, and you pitch healthy and you pitch well, one, you're probably going to end up in a pennant race because you're going to sign a one-year deal and they're going to trade you in the deadline. Then if you pitch really well, you're not going to have a qualifying offer attached to you, which means that you're going to, because you've been traded in the middle of the season, so you're not going to have draft pick compensation that's attached to you. And two, you're going to walk out on the free agent market that's a little bit thinner for starting pitchers and give yourself a pretty good opportunity to to sign a good deal. So I, I to me, that's the better the better role for time. Well, what about what about with the addition of Brian Price? I mean, you know Brian from your time in, with the Diamondbacks, and he was there for a little bit. And can he be the game changer for a lot of these guys that we're seeing? Because you guys lost Mike Butcher, and, mm-hmm. and you know he was let go or not renewed. And uh, Matt Hurgis is now your guy, and you know everyone's trying to find that that right fit. Like in in Brian Price, I mean, he could be that guy for the Phillies. I mean, someone that has that old school ability and. and being away from the game a little bit to understand the the analytical side. I mean, Hurgis is a a very analytical guy. I mean, where do you see in, you know, both our situations, knowing both of those guys? So I haven't talked enough to Matt to really know. You probably know Mm -hmm. Matt better. I know Matt's brother-in-law really well, (laughs) Todd Hollinsworth. So, like, I've I've talked to Holly about Matt, but I haven't talked to Matt yet. Uh, It is interesting that Brian Price turned down the Diamondbacks Mm -hmm. and ended up with the Phillies. Um, he and Joe Girardi were scheduled to uh, manage to be the pitching coach which of the Premier crazy, 12 tournament crazy, together. Crazy. Well, it's probably what helped to lead to that, yeah, too, is they that had they had a relationship before, yeah. working on USA Baseball. 
Um, I'll be really interested to see because it's a it's a big departure from Chris Young, the previous pitching coach, who was data savvy, but also in his first time as pitching mm-hmm. coach. And I know from knowing Chris that this is not Chris the six ten pitcher. Mm-hmm. This is Chris the former Mississippi State standout who was a scout, um, who that he felt like he made some mistakes in terms of communicating. I don't think communication is going to be an issue with Brian. I mean, that's the, always been his strength with pitchers. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not he can get more out of the back end of the Phillies' rotation. You know, with Matt Hurgis, I think it's going to be – I think what you're hoping for with Matt is a really collaborative effort with him and Dan Heron in particular. You know, I Dan threw 88. Heron, <laughs> I threw 88. <laughs> Dan, Her- Dan Heron's a really important guy when mm-hmm. it comes to planning what the starters are doing, and I think Matt's relationship with Dan will go – will be – you're paramount. That's not to say that Mike Butcher and Dan Heron didn't have a good relationship, but I think it's just that that's what you're looking at going forward and see what you know how Matt and Dan get on the same page and try and help listen to pitchers to see how they can get to the next level because they're going to be counting a lot on Zach Gallen taking another step forward, Luke Weaver being healthy, taking another step forward, Robbie Ray potentially bouncing back. His name's banded about in trade rumors. Like Robbie potentially could, he has the stuff to be able to dominate. So you look at that, that start, Mike Leake's pretty solid. Alex Young had a good rookie year. There's some good moments from Taylor Clark. Like there's a little bit of depth there, and it's going to be interesting to see how Matt relates to that. Isn't it, isn't it incredible how these organizations, how important the minor league thing is, right? And the minor league depth. And oh, having, yeah. and, and not, Did you appreciate that when you played? Yes. I did. Well, you were minor league depth. I mean, I was minor league depth at the end. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, like, before, you were so top-heavy, right? And, and with the Giants, you were so top-heavy. And, and how did you supplement it? You supplemented it through the minor leagues, but the minor leagues wasn't producing anything. Like, and we were coming up, and we were like, you know, I was a, a everyday second baseman for a year and a half, tearing it up, and next thing you know, I'm a utility guy. So that was, like, the, that was the other part. It's like having guys to be able to take in that role and, and you know, losing pitchers and, and what pitchers are you bringing in? Like, are they guys that are going to be able to step in and, and win you 10 games, keep the, you know, keep the ship moving? Or are they going to be the guy that's going to be, uh, you might have two good starts and then you're done for a month. Like, you're going to have, you know, four or five straight, just bleh. That's, that's why I've been fascinated by this. Because we've seen it with so many teams. Like, what the, what the Yankees did last year, right? I mean, and to see how good they were and sustained all those injuries, and they kept on bringing guys up, and they kept having, having guys step up, and they had the right Depth guys. is huge. Depth is huge. And, and, and for a, a team like yourself, yeah. I mean, you see it. You only get a couple high price guys, and you only get that, like, short little window with those guys to, to keep them. That minor league depth is important. We're starting to see it with the, with, with the Phillies. The, the lack of depth that they've had in the last couple of years came to bite them in the butt. Major focus for the Diamondbacks this winter, and and – as much as there's been talk here and rumors on Madison Bumgarner or you know some bigger would names be a good or whatever, it would be a good fit. Would be a good I'm, fit. I'm a little bit skeptical that that's going to play out at this point. I think Bumgarner's um, going to get a really good contract. Um, I don't necessarily know that that's going to play out, but I think that the biggest thing for the Diamondbacks has been trying to find more quality offensive pieces. I mean, that's one of the things you watch across the division that the Dodgers have done. Yeah, they have stars. But when their stars either need a day off or are on the injured list, they have guys that can fill in capably for it. So, all right. 
It's uh, this has been fun. This it's good to awesome. see you. You and I get a chance to do this in our other gigs. Really, all the time. you don't get to talk to each other face, face to face. I know it's usually in press rooms. So uh, this is the first time we've ever tried the crossover <laughs> episode. It's a I little think it's bit good. like I, the, the best part it's is not Law and Order meets Homicide. But no, but I mean, like the, the fact that there's so many ties between the D backs yeah. and Phillies yeah. in this particular year, I yeah. think, is tremendous. And there's so many things that we could run off of each other. It's been great. And I've had a blast working with you on the MLB Network Radio, so it's been uh, been good times. Yeah, I have too. So it's great to see you. Uh, safe travels. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you. In my cold jersey. <laughs> what a beauty Mike is. And I was lucky enough to catch up with him uh, multiple times this week, but this time on a taping for Pine Tar for breakfast. Thank you so much for listening. I know it's been a lot. It's been a lot of people. But it's been great information. But tomorrow... There might be something that you might like even more. Matt Clintack, the GM of the Philadelphia Phillies, is going to join me right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. Peace!